Um, I have mentioned once before uh, to you that, that uh, on a very basic level, I enjoy cooking. I've said that before, that, that I like to experiment, you know, with different spices and seasonings. Sometimes that works well, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, I do like, I like cooking, at least on, a, on an amateur level. And another thing that can be fun and enjoyable with, with food is coming up with different pairings. You know, taking separate things and kind of combining them into one dish or one meal, making different combinations, uh, that, that can be fun, right? And uh, so I, I put together just a very small list of common food pairings uh, that, that a lot of people do put together. And these are things that at first glance maybe don't sound like they'd be good together. You know, you, you don't maybe think they would work well, but they end up doing that actually. Um, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to interact with me. As I go through this list and I read the specific combo here, the pairing, um, if you like that, if you have done that or you think that sounds good, I want you to say, yum, really loud, right? Yum. And, and the reverse is going to happen too. If you don't like it, and you think that just sounds nasty, you're not even going to try this combo, I want you to say, yuck! All right? So, everybody together with me on that? Good. Uh, So the first thing is fries and frosty, like Wendy's, frosties, and fries. Let me hear if you like that. Wow. All right, let me me hear. You don't like that. That sounds gross. You're not going to do it. Oh, the yums have it. The yums have it. Okay, um, bananas and peanut butter. Peanut butter and bananas. Wow. All right, same thing. You don't like it. See? We've got, we've got, <laughs> we've got two in the yum column here. All right, third one. Um, eggs, like scrambled eggs and hot sauce or scrambled eggs and ketchup. I'm with the yuck on that one. You guys are crazy. Why would you do that to eggs? Come on. Ugh. All right, uh, the other one here, um, we are in West Virginia, so I'm going to be surprised if we have a yuck on this one, but it may happen. Fried steak and gravy. Anybody not like that? It's like, yuck. Jim Gray, was that Jim Gray? Did he say that really? No. Brad Farha? Brad Farha. Hey, I didn't like country fried steak either until we moved to Texas. And then we, I ate at Mel's, which is like the world-famous country fried steak place. It's been on the Food Channel and everything. And ever since then, I've been hooked on country fried steak, which is what the steak and gravy is. Brad, we'll, we'll get you right someday. It'll be an all-day job, but we'll keep working on it. Um, the next one on the list, chicken and waffles. Let me hear that. Yuck. Oh, the yucks had it on that one. It's good. It's good. Trust me. Try it. You'll like it. Chicken and waffles. Uh, all right, next is barbecue sauce on baked potatoes. Let me... Yuck had it again. I'm, I'm with the yum on this one. I didn't think it was going to be good at all till I tried it. Now we love it, right, Leanne? We, we do. We love We put grilled chicken on the baked potato. We put barbecue sauce. We sprinkle cheese on it. Mm! Now you guys are nice and hungry. Or not, if you don't like it. Um, All right, next one. And this was something that I found out when I married into the Martin family. I had never heard of this in my life. I still just don't know about this one. But number seven, uh, Italian dressing on pot roast, turkey, or mashed potatoes, all of the above. Italian dressing all over that stuff. Let me hear you if you like that. (laughs) It's like, eh, eh. All right, yuck. Let me hear the yuck. Sorry, Leanne. You know. 
Um, we'll, we'll warn you guys ahead of time. If we invite you over, we'll let you know we're going to be doing that. All right, number eight. Um, this is, I, I mean, I, I'm not expecting any of the, the yuck because, again, of where we are. But depending on where you're from, maybe you will not like this one. Number eight, coleslaw on hot dogs, coleslaw on barbecue sandwiches. Yeah. Let me hear, is there any yuck? Any yuck? Yeah. Yeah, more than I thought. More than I thought. What is it with the Farhoff family? Was that, that was you, right? Come on, guys. You know, when, when we moved to Texas, when we moved to Texas, I, uh, we had hot dogs some, at somebody's uh, house, at, or it was a get-together or something. I can't remember exactly what that was, but we, we asked for, for coleslaw. We said, hey, can, is there any slaw for the hot dogs? They looked at me like I was from Mars. It's like, slaw on your hot dog? It's like, well, yeah, of course. Same thing happened with barbecue. It's like, where's the slaw? And they just looked at me like, what is wrong with this guy? They just don't know how to do it. That's how you do it. You put coleslaw on hot dogs and coleslaw on barbecue sandwiches. And, and I, it's not on here, but I added a couple. Uh, tomato soup and grilled cheese. Anybody yuck? Yuck. Yuck. Blah. Horrible. Terrible. Here's the last one. Sardines and crackers. Let me hear the yucks. Smart people. Smart people. A couple of you back there got real excited. You were like, yes! Sardines and crackers. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, you know, so, so we have a split. We have it split here, right? We have some people who would look at this and say, oh, th- those combinations sound great. Wow, that, yes, I love it. I love to do that. Or maybe I haven't tried it, but I think I would like that. That sounds good. Then the, there's the, the others of you who said, no, no way. That's crazy. Who would ever combine that? Blah, that's terrible. We have a, have a different outlook. Some of us see it as working together. Some of us see it as, as totally things that need to remain separate, Right? That's kind of how it is on a a much larger scale. That's how it is with a very old, old debate. There's an old theological debate uh, that has has lasted for centuries, and it's a debate about the means of our justification. How are we declared or made right before God? How do we get right with God? What is our salvation really dependent on? What is involved in it? And there's a debate on that. And the debate, especially more so even in the the centuries past, although it's still plenty, plenty debated today, is this. Are we justified, declared right before God, by faith or works? Are we justified by faith or works? And and the the center of this debate really kind of lands around or is framed around Romans 3 and James 2. Romans 3 and James 2. Paul in Romans 3 lays out this huge argument for why we are justified by faith alone, nothing else needed. And, and James's argument is, at first glance anyway, and that's key, at first glance, is that works are, are just as important or more important even. And, and it caused such a division early on in the church that Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation... Great guy, smart man, wise, wrote all kinds of books, excellent communicator of God's word. He said about James, about the book of James, that it was an epistle of straw. It was an epistle of straw. And and with Martin Luther's background, you can kind of understand where he's coming from, but 
but it was a wrong view of, of what James was all about. It wasn't proper exegesis of the, of the passage of James. Martin Luther came out of the Catholic Church. He did the 95 Thesis on the door. Remember that story? Uh, he was so appalled at the works-driven mentality present in the Catholic Church that when he read through James, he just could not get his mind around the fact that, that there had to be more to this than just being all about works as he, as he assumed that it was all about. And so he said, it's an epistle of straw. I have no use for it. But that's where, where the, the debate comes from. It's, it's centered around Romans 3 and James 2. And, and so we'll look at a little bit of that today. First, uh, Romans 3, 21 through 22 says this. Paul, Paul speaking here, and he says, But now, apart from the law, and that's, that's key, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed attested by the law and the prophets. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Then in verses 27 and 28, he says this, Where then is boasting? In other words, if if righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, apart from works, apart from anything you can do, where then is boasting? That's a good question. Where then is boasting? What do you have to boast about? If it's not about what you can do, if it's not about works, salvation is not of you at all, then where's the boasting? He says it's excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For, and this is very, very important to this argument, for we conclude, we conclude, we're, we're sure, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's Romans 3, 27 and 28. So so Paul is saying here, it is all about faith. It's not about any work you can do to achieve salvation. It's strictly from the righteousness of God that comes to you by grace through Jesus Christ, which you receive and embrace by faith. That's Romans 3, okay? Compare this now, let's compare it with James chapter 2, verses 14 and 18, through 18, and then also verse 26. James 2, 14 through 18 says this. James writing, he says, What good is it, my brothers? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? Now, what, he's really, what, what is really meant by that question is, can this kind of faith save him? Can that kind of faith be saving faith? Is that kind of faith a truly genuine faith? Is it the kind of faith that is necessary and part of true and proper salvation? That's really what is meant by, can his faith save him? And then James provides a very practical example to prove his point. Verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? That's what he's asking. An example of his thought process here would be like the Good Samaritan. You know the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable where, where the, the man is beaten by robbers. He has all of his things stolen. He's beaten down. He's bruised. He's, he's all messed up. And three different people 
Come and see him in his situation. See that he's in need. You can even picture in your mind him reaching out saying, help, help me, please. And no one, no one pays him any attention. They just keep right on going, go around the other way. And then the Samaritan comes who, you know, by the Jewish people is, is looked at as, as an outcast and, and even less than human in many ways. I mean, he's just the bottom of the barrel in society. And he stops and he takes care of this wounded Jewish man. He does something about it. His faith is put into action and it helps someone in need. The others who were supposed to be people of faith and people of spirituality, they did nothing to help the Samaritan. And Jesus' story there and his point is, which one showed mercy, which one was truly working out and showing their faith, which one was demonstrating they really understood righteousness, and the answer was the Samaritan. That's exactly what James is saying here. He's saying, what good is it to have all this faith if it doesn't translate into action to help others around you that are in need? If it's not going to make a difference in other people's lives, has it really made a difference in yours? That's James's argument. That's his, his point here. Then in verses 17 to 18, it says this, in the same way, faith, in other words, just like my example about the person that needs clothes and food and you don't do anything about it, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, you could insert attached to it, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself, by itself without any works accompanying it. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith from my works. Or another way of saying it is by my works. I will show you my faith by my works. I'll prove the faith I have by the works I do. Verse 26 For just as the body without the spirit is dead, common sense there, right? Just without the the body, without the soul, without the spirit is, is just a corpse. So also, in the same way, faith without works is dead. Dead. Ruh row. Are Romans 3. And James 2, contradicting one another? Hey, he already said it. I guess we can go home. We can all go home. We heard, we heard Cormie. He's right. No way. No way. There's not a contradiction here. There's not a conflict. There's not two gospels presented in Scripture. To, to view it that way is doing uh, a disservice to God and a disservice to Scripture and a disservice to yourself. And it's not studying the Bible the proper way. Um, it's not digging deeper. It's not understanding really what is being said. It's not looking at the overall context. It's taking a very shallow, surface-only look at what is said and then running away with, with what you think it's saying. That's not, that's not right. Thankfully, this is not what's happening. There is no contradiction. There's no conflict. And any perceived contradiction or conflict comes from poor study and and a misunderstanding of Paul's context in Romans 3. He was talking about, when he was talking about works in Romans 3, he wasn't talking about doing acts of righteousness. He wasn't talking about 
serving other people as an expression of your faith. He wasn't talking about serving the Lord Jesus in response to your salvation and the grace that you've received from him. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying faith does not involve any works at all. That's not what Paul's point was. Paul's point, his whole point in this whole passage in Romans 3 and beyond, the whole context was surrounding the Mosaic law. The Old Testament law, the, the regulations and the requirements and the rituals, things like the circumcision, things like ceremonial washing, and on and on we could go. Paul was saying to his, his Jewish readers, no, it, it's not all about doing the works of the law. That's not what makes you right with God. You are justified by faith alone, and all the things you do are a response to the faith that you possess. You're justified by faith, and then everything else flows out from that. That's what Paul's whole point in Romans 3 was all about. So James's point in, in James 2 actually coincides with what Paul was really trying to convey. James would never dispute or ever try to argue that our salvation, our justification before God depends on anything else but our faith. James would never go there. That was not his point. He is merely saying... What is so true and, and what, is, what is so observed in our own life, if we will take a step back. He is saying, be careful about getting so wrapped up in your own spirituality. Be careful about being so in your own faith experience that you, that you neglect living out that faith with others. That's what James's whole argument is. Don't be so in yourself Don't be so withdrawn into your own Christianity. Don't be so focused on just your own faith that you neglect living it out, that you neglect taking your faith and making an impact on other people with it. That's James's whole point. That's his whole argument. So here's what the answer really is. Here's what the answer really is. Here's what it comes down to. Works don't save. Okay? Works don't save but saving faith works. Works don't save, but saving faith works. Just like James 2.14 said, what good is it, my brothers? That's a great question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can his faith save him? In other words, is saving faith really going to just sit by and not make an impact on other people? Is saving faith going to be able to be insensitive to the needs of others? Is saving faith going to allow you to just walk on by or ignore someone's provision and need when God has given you the ability and the means to meet it? And the answer is no. Saving faith, the kind of faith that truly does save a person, new life producing faith, is going to always be open to have God use you to help someone else. It's always going to be open to how God might use you to bring other people to him. It's, it's always going to be open to how you can take what God has blessed you with, the, the actual physical provision and means and resources, and how can you impart that to someone else? How can you make someone's life better? It's all about kingdom thinking. How can I advance the kingdom of God? How can I be to people what Jesus is to people? How can I be Jesus to someone else? That's what saving faith does. And my friends, every time you see Jesus at work, all through the Gospels, as he's interacting with people, he's never just preaching to them. He's never just speaking the truth to them. He does that. 
He doesn't shy away from speaking the truth. He's communicating the gospel. He's letting them know, hey, you have, you have a need spiritually. You have sin in your life that you've got to repent of. I'm the answer. I'm the cure. You need to come to me. But it's not all talk. Jesus always ministers to the whole person. He always ministers to the whole person. He meets the physical needs as well as the spiritual. He addresses the salvation need and the spiritual need, and he addresses feeding the people. You see it all through the Gospels. It's holistic ministry. It's reaching the whole person. That's what Jesus is about. That's what we need to be about. That's what true saving faith is about. It doesn't just sit on your own faith. You know, it's getting up out of the chairs and going out and making an impact on the world around you. All in Jesus' name. And all because of what we have received. Is that really the kind of faith that saves you? Do you really possess the salvation you profess? That's the question James is asking here. Do you really possess the salvation you profess? And his answer is, if you don't do anything with your faith, if you don't go out and and you're not aware and sensitive of the needs around you where you can be a light in someone's life, where you can be a source of help and a source of refuge, then you need to take a step back and ask, do I really possess what I profess? That's the question. And so many times we miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. We miss the chance to be a light to someone's darkness. We, we miss the chance to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We miss the chance to be the body like the song that Pastor Matthew and Jamie over here sang so beautifully. That's the whole point of that song. If we are the body of Christ, if, if our salvation is genuine, then people are going to be able to see that. People are going to be able to feel the hands and the feet of Christ. People are going to be able to feel the love of Christ, not just hear about it. And so many times... We're so focused on our own experience and our own life and our own way of doing things that we miss opportunities that are before us, that God is inviting us to be a part of. He wants to use us in his story, church. We need to be sensitive to that. Talk is is cheap. Talk is cheap. You know? Talk is just incredibly cheap. And the world around us has had enough of that to last them an entire lifetime. You know? Especially when it comes to the political season. We're reminded of how truly cheap talk is. And we all want to see action, not just more rhetoric. Right? The same is always going to be true in terms of our faith, our Christianity. Um, you know, young boys are, are always trying to outdo one another in their, in their stories and with their bragging. You know, I can do this. Oh, really? Well, I can do this. And, and the, the concept is to try to outdo one another uh, with who can tell the best story or who can make the best claim. And inevitably, each time their stories are told or, or the claim is given um, about something they did or something they can do, the answer is always, oh, really? Prove it, right? Prove it. Show me. You know, put, put, put your feet where your mouth is, kind of thing. And, and that happened to me a lot, by the way. It happened to me a lot. I was always the one that, that, you know, gave this huge zinger of a story or a claim. And, it, and inevitably, my friends would always look at me and say, oh, really? Yeah, prove it. Go ahead, right now. And then it's like, oh, uh, well, I, I, I can't. I, I don't have the right thing. You know, I, I have, oh, mom, yeah, I'm coming. You know, that kind of thing. Happened to me a lot. Because people don't want to just hear about what you can do. They want to see it. 
And that doesn't really stop once we grow up, church. It doesn't really stop once we grow up. And as Christians, the world around us is always going to be more interested in our actions than our words. Always going to be more interested in our actions than just our words. Every claim we make about our personal faith in Christ and the, the way he has changed our life, And the difference he can and will make in the lives of anyone who surrenders their life to him. Every time we make such a statement, in some form we will hear, Oh, really? Prove it. Show me. Don't just talk about it. Let me see it in action. Let me see the difference that it makes. Because I've heard it all before. And they have. They have. Actions always speak louder than words. Always. And in the case of our faith and our salvation, actions verify or prove our words. They prove it. Our works of righteousness, our works of serving other people, our works of serving the community, of helping those who need help, all of that, that that righteous act, those works, they put feet to our faith. They put feet to our faith, and it makes people notice. See, the Christian's life should be composed of faith and works, not faith or works. The Christian's life should be composed of faith and works, not faith or works. Just like you see on the picture there, it's part of the same thing that propels you forward. Faith by itself, as James said, just on its own, just talking about it, it's not going to do any good to anyone. It's not going to actually have benefit in someone's life in and of itself. It has to be accompanied by works. Faith is all that saves us. Works do not save, but saving faith works. James 2.26, I have on your sheet there, 2.18, that's that's an error, It's, it's James 2.26, We already read it, but I just wanted to read it again. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. What that means, church, is if the difference Jesus has made in your life and in my life, if that difference doesn't make a difference in others' lives as well, then we're not seeing the whole picture. If the the difference that Christ has made in my life doesn't make a difference in someone else's life, I'm not seeing the whole picture. I'm not understanding my salvation the right way. I'm not grasping what faith is supposed to be all about. Because our salvation and our faith isn't just about us. It's not just about us. And the reason when you came to Jesus Christ, the reason he did not just immediately sweep you up into heaven take you up there with him, the reason you weren't immediately just raptured as soon as you came to Christ is because he has a purpose for you on this earth. He has a role for you to play in building the kingdom. He has a desire for you to be his hands and his feet to other people that are in need of that. He has a part for you to play in the story he's writing. And if you're not looking for that opportunity, and if you're not seizing that opportunity when it comes, you're going to miss out on the blessing of seeing what he can do through your life, and you're going to not be the one that he wanted to use to help that person that needed you. So they lose, and you lose as well. We were saved to have an eternity with Christ, yes. We were saved to be free of our sin forever, yes. 
We were saved to be absent from death's grip, yes, but we were also saved to serve. We were saved to serve. And there's a lot of different ways that plays out. Works don't save, but saving faith works. Would you pray with me? Right before I pray, I just want to ask a question that needs to be asked after hearing something like this. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? There's no need to make it any different than that. I mean, that, that's just that's the most important need that I can say right now, and that's the most important question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Have you come to the place in your journey in life where you have said, I know I am in need of the Savior. I know I, I'm never going to be right with God on my own. I believe that to be true. I need someone else, and I believe that someone else is Jesus Christ and him alone. I've never put my whole faith, my trust, I've never rested in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, but I want to, I need to. Is there anybody that would say, yes, that's me. Pray for me in that way. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else say, pray for me in this way? Okay, then let me ask, excuse me, let me ask you this, Christian. You have committed your life to him, to Jesus. Your faith and your trust is resting in Christ alone. But you, you will have to be honest and say that you've been sitting on your faith. You've been resting back on your own salvation experience. You haven't really been doing anything with that to other people. You haven't been working out that faith in the lives of others around you. You're saved, but you're not doing the, the works that accompany that, and you're, you're convicted of that. Could I pray for you on that, 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 will, that you will allow God to do the work in your heart that needs to happen to change that, that, that you will start actually living out your faith? Could I pray for anyone on that way, anybody at all that would say, yeah, that's me? Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate that. Anyone else? Thank you. Amen. Appreciate your honesty. Thank you. All right, let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us. You are so good to clearly reveal in Scripture what is needed in our lives, what you're calling us to. You make it so clear the way we are supposed to live and go about our life in Christ and and the way we're supposed to express the salvation that you have by grace given us through our faith. Thank you, first of all, for our salvation. How amazing you are that you would pour out your grace on us in the way you did at the expense of your son's life. And thank you that that it's not anything we can do. We never could do anything to achieve salvation, to achieve justification before you. And so you did it all for us. Thank you. But Father, we aren't meant to just sit on that. We're not meant to just keep that all bottled up inside and No, we're on our way to heaven and we're just happy as can be. We're meant to do something with that. We're meant to turn around and and share the truth that we have received and embrace with others verbally. But we're also supposed to reach out with, with love and with physical means as we are able to, to those who are hurting and broken around us. We're called to minister to the whole person, just as your son did. Oh, Father, 
Help us to rise up to that challenge. Help us to not miss the opportunities to be the hands and feet, the body of Christ to other people. Let us look for those opportunities. Let us, let us get excited about those opportunities and let us seize those opportunities. Work in our hearts, I pray. And I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters who said, yeah, uh, I'm just really not doing that. I'm not pursuing a life of faith and works. I'm kind of just resting on the, the faith only part. Work in hearts. Change what needs to be changed in all of us, I pray. And for those who, who raise their hands saying, I, I'm not even a Christian. I, I have not even surrendered my life to Jesus to begin with. I need to do that. Oh, please, by your spirit, work in their hearts, work in their minds, those who said that. And let them see that it is as simple as, as resting their whole faith and trust in what Christ has already done for them. That nothing else is required. And let them embrace the gift of salvation this day, this moment, I pray. Father, we commit all of this to you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing and will do. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.